Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. What a privilege it is that we have to behold our God who humbled himself to the point of death and now has risen again and is exalted. Uh, my name is Paul Dahl. If I haven't met you, I'm one of the elders here at Stafford Baptist. It is a joy uh, to gather with you this morning to worship our God. Well, in 2020, Americans found comfort in their cars. According to one study, as the pandemic began, about 80% of Americans quickly moved away from public transportation to using uh, their cars and getting around. People felt far more comfortable using their cars to go to work and run errands than they did in using public transportation. Not only did they feel more comfortable using their cars, this survey cited that many Americans found refuge that their cars became a personal safe haven. It looked like driving around the neighborhood to take a mini break from being stuck in their house, to going on long drives to clear their heads in the midst of so much going on, or even just simply to get away from the family, sitting in the cars to listen to music or audiobooks. Cars became a place for comfort, in the midst of a a difficult, disappointing, and easily discouraging pandemic? Well, that begs the question that we want to ask this morning. Where do you go for comfort? In the midst of grief and sorrow and discouragement and despair and disappointment, where do you turn for comfort? It's probably not your car. Maybe it's a favorite food or dessert. Kelton mentioned ice cream this week. Maybe it's a TV show or a good book that entertains you. But I think it's fair for all of us that we have experienced the need for comfort. And because we've experienced that need for comfort, we have now places or things where we go looking for that comfort. Well, the people of God in Isaiah's time needed comfort. They've been assured of their exile to Babylon. And in the midst of this exile, they will be tempted to think that God has forgotten them. They will be tempted to look to idols and false gods for hope in spite of that. And in the midst of all of that despair, discouragement, and temptation, God's voice speaks. And he speaks words of comfort to his people. That's what we'll see in Isaiah 40 through 55 this morning. God comforts his people. So if you have a Bible, please open to Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40. If you don't have a Bible, please feel free to use the the Bible in the pew in front of you. You can find Isaiah 40 on page 599. And if you don't have a Bible, please take that Bible as our gift to you. Much like last week, though we'll be considering a a larger chunk of Isaiah, we'll use one passage as our foundation. And that passage this morning will be Isaiah 40, verses 1 through 11. But before we hear God's word, let's turn to him in prayer for the hearing and proclaiming of his word. And then we will read Isaiah 40, verses 1 through 11. Let's pray together. Father, what a joy it is to behold you in your word this morning. Father, we confess, Father, that we are often tempted to live by other things. But you have promised that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. 
So, Father, we pray this morning that we would feed and be satisfied in your word. Father, let the words I, I declare not, not overtake your words. Father, may we, be, may we eat and be satisfied in you alone. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Starting in verse 1 of Isaiah 40. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength. O Jerusalem, herald of good news, lift it up. Fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Last week we began a three-week series considering the the book of Isaiah from a a 30,000 foot view. We said that our overall theme of Isaiah is the Holy One acts and that we can summarize his actions in three ways god purifies god comforts and god prepares and so last week as we considered isaiah 1 through 39 we considered the purifying judgment of god israel had sinned they had self-exalted themselves and made little of their god they trusted not in him but in themselves and therefore god promised to purify his rebellious people Yet within this section of the the promised judgment is a promise that if we return to God, He will save. So last week we saw we were called to trust the Holy One who purifies His rebellious people through judgment. Well, as we move this morning into Isaiah 40 through 55, I believe Isaiah is prophesying at the the very same time as he was in in chapters 1 through 39, but now he's, he's looking past their immediate future to when the people will be in exile. And in the midst of the despair and the disappointment of exile, God comforts his people. As we begin, I, I want to start with just a, a brief overview of, of, of what we're going to consider in chapters 40 through 55. So just kind of, kind of help us see the flow of the passage. So in chapters 40 through 42, there's this promise of, of universal comfort. God will, will comfort not only Israel, but, but all, some from every nation. So God's promising comfort. 
Then as we move into chapter, chapters 43 and 44, we see that this comfort will come through redemption. God will redeem his people from captivity in Babylon, but, but even more than that, he will forgive them of their sin. And this redemption will come through an agent. Cyrus will release the people from captivity in Babylon. Yet Cyrus is, is not the ultimate servant. There's a greater redemption coming through the atoning work of the servant of God, which is what we'll see in chapters 49 through 53. And then this section in in chapters 54 and 55 ends with a call to come to God and know peace for all eternity. So that's a a brief overview. That's where we're going. That's the flow of of Isaiah 40 through 55. Our one sentence summary of this section, our, our big idea this morning is this. Come to the only God who brings comfort by his servant. Come to the only God who brings comfort by his servant. God, the the only God, has not forgotten his people. He has not stopped being faithful even in the midst of the exile. He is still the God who with everlasting love shows compassion. And therefore the people ought not put their hope in idols who can do nothing. No, they ought to trust their God who is creator, king, and savior. And he sends his servant to suffer in our place that we might be redeemed. And therefore we're called, come to the only God who brings comfort by his servant. We'll consider our big idea in in four parts this morning. Comfort announced in Isaiah 40 verses 1 through 5. Comfort announced. Second, comfort assured in verses 6 through 8. Comfort assured. Third, comfort achieved. Comfort achieved in, in, in verses 9 through 11. And then we'll end with a call to come to the comforter. So comfort announced, comfort assured, comfort achieved, and a call to come to the comforter. Let's start with first comfort announced in Isaiah 40 verses 1 through 5. It's helpful as we begin here to to hear some of the final words of of chapter 39. So I'm going to read from Isaiah 39 verse 6 just to give us a little bit of of what the people of God will be, have, have just heard So verse 6 of Isaiah 39 says, Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. It's a promise to Hezekiah, but but ultimately to the, the people of God through Isaiah that they will be cast out of Jerusalem. You can imagine the people's response to this would be one of utter despair. This was the place of the covenant. This was where God's presence dwelt. And now he's going to be sending them out in judgment. And again, as I mentioned, while I think Isaiah is prophesying around the same time as 1 through 39, it becomes clear as we move into chapter 40 that he's now looking forward to that time when the people are in exile. In the midst of of their disappointed realizations of of the covenant of God seeming to have been broken, the people will think that their God has forgotten them. This is what we see in verse 27 of Isaiah 40, which says this, God says to his people, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? See, Israel will say in in this day of exile that the Lord does not see them. 
That their right as the people of God has been disregarded. They are desolate, despised, forsaken, forgotten. And it's in the midst of this feeling that that God speaks. God's voice shines out like a light in a dark room, like a a single star shining in the, the darkest of nights. God speaks and he announces comfort to his people. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Note the pronouns there because they make all the difference. He calls them my people and he says he is your God. Do you catch that? That's, that's covenant language. All the way back in Exodus, when, when God tells Moses how he will deliver his people from Egypt and make a covenant with them, God says this to the people of Israel in, in Exodus 6, verse 7. And note the emphasis. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And so with this announcement of comfort comes the announcement that the covenant is not forsaken. No, he's speaking words of comfort to those who feel forgotten and forsaken. God will no longer act in judgment. That's what we see in verse 2. Instead, he will speak tenderly to Jerusalem like a, a kind father. Her warfare is ended. His, their iniquity pardoned. Their punishment completed. Comfort awaits the people of God. And this sets the tone for the the next 15 chapters of Isaiah. This is a proclamation of comfort above all else. It's displayed again and again throughout Isaiah 40 through 55 in this proclamation of fear not. Listen for how many times you hear the phrase fear not while I read just from a few examples. Isaiah 41 verse 10 says this, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Or Isaiah 44, verse 2. Thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb and will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, Jeshuron, whom I have chosen. Or Isaiah 54, verse 4. Fear not, for you will not be ashamed Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced, for you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood. You will remember no more. Again and again, the call, fear not. Ten times in 15 chapters, we see this phrase, fear not, spoken from God to his people. What does that tell us? God is announcing comfort. Brothers and sisters, What fears and disappointments do you bring with you this morning? What griefs and sorrows fill your hearts? What anxieties and worries filled your souls and minds as you got ready this morning? Fear not are the words of your God to you who are in Christ this morning. You may feel discouraged, disappointed, sorrowful, anxious, fearful. But the Lord's voice shines clearly in the midst of all of that. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. He has not forsaken you. He has not left. If you are in Christ, you have every reason to know the comfort of your God this morning. But the announcement doesn't stop there back in Isaiah 40. See, having heard the the word of God announcing comfort... 
Now a new voice, an unnamed voice speaks up in Isaiah 40 verse 3. Look, look there with me. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. See, God doesn't merely announce comfort upon His people. No, God announces His coming to bring that comfort. This language of verses 3-4, through I think, are metaphors of the journey from the the east back to Jerusalem. It's it's uneven ground, hard to, to walk over. But I think these metaphors are to symbolize the people making ready their hearts. People need to prepare themselves through repentance so as to be ready for the arrival of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, the announcing of comfort is no less than the announcing of the glory of the Lord being revealed. I'm going to say that again. The announcing of comfort is no less than the announcing of the glory of the Lord being revealed to His people. It is in the glory of God, His manifested presence, that we find comfort. The New Testament picks up this language and directs us to John the Baptist, as we saw in Mark 1. John is the, the voice who proclaims preparation for the arrival of the glory of God. How, how does John prepare the people? Well, do you remember Mark 1-4, which we read earlier in our service, where we read, John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness, and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The way and the paths of of the arrival of the Lord's glory are made ready through repentance. Repentance being our turning from sin and trusting in the Lord who reveals His glory. John is clear. This is how we we prepare ourselves for the the coming of of the Lord. And God's glory is, is ultimately made known to us with the arrival of the Word made flesh. John, I think, picks up this language of the, the glory of the Lord being revealed and, and, and expands on it in John 1.14, where he says, And the Word, who is God, from we saw earlier in John 1, the Word is God, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. In the arrival of Jesus Christ, we have the revelation of the glory of the Lord for all the flesh to see together. It is in Jesus that the invisible God is made known. And Jesus came to comfort His people. Later on in John 1 we read, For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. See, comfort is announced and arrives in the coming of Jesus Christ. He, as John 10 will tell us, is the good shepherd who will care tenderly for the flock of God. So here in Isaiah 40, we have a message of comfort to people who are in despair. One scholar put it this way. He said, Isaiah 40 verse 5 lifts the eyes, indeed the hearts of His people, by declaring that God's glory will be revealed. The glorious God will return to His forsaken city as King. And there's no greater comfort that could be announced 
the glorious God returning as king to lead his forsaken people tenderly and mightily. And friends, that announcement is still true today. Jesus is coming again. He will bring about the the full revelation of God in his second coming. So prepare yourselves. Make ready. Repent. Turn from your sin. And let this announcement of, a, of, a, of comfort take our eyes off of our despairing circumstances and raise them to the glorious God who is coming. You know, it's this comfort our brother Franklin knows in full this morning. And it's this comfort that is coming for the people of God. But how could the people be sure How can we be sure that the announcement of comfort will lead to the achievement of comfort? You see, we're easily swayed by by false hopes that make blurry this announcement of comfort. And so God assures His people that comfort is coming on the basis of His Word. We saw there in verse 5, For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Which leads us to our second point, comfort assured. Comfort assured. As we continue on in Isaiah 40, looking there at at verse 6, we see another unnamed voice cry. And Isaiah responds, what shall I cry? And he used to cry out about the beauty of God's word. See, the words of humans will fail. All, All flesh is like grass, and the grass withers, and the flower fades at the very breath of the Lord. Nothing else. No human words, no flesh, no idols or false gods can stand forever. Only the Lord and His Word will stand forever. There in verse 8. See, God knows that His people will be tempted to doubt these promises of comfort. They will be tempted to put their hope in the idols of Babylon, to look from, to comfort from those false gods. And so He spends much of Isaiah 40 through 55 describing His greatness. In comparison to these idols, the false gods of Babylon pale in comparison to the Holy One of Israel. Look with me at at Isaiah 40, verses 18 through 23. If you have your Bibles, just turn maybe over a page to find Isaiah 40, verse 18. And consider the picture here being painted of our God. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? An idol? A craftsman cast it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold, and he casts it for silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Verse 21. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain, and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing, and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Isaiah here says very clearly, God cannot even be compared to an idol. It is God who's, who as creator stretches out the heavens while an idol is a, a creation crafted by a craftsmith and a goldsmith. Again and again, this language of the folly of trying to compare God to idols is, is picked up throughout Isaiah. Isaiah 46 is another clear description of this. When one cries to an idol, it does not answer and cannot save. 
And so God continues in Isaiah 46, starting in verse 8, saying this. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. See, we are assured of God's comfort because unlike all other idols that we might be tempted to trust in, there is none like God. He alone rules. His counsel alone shall stand. When He sets His purposes in place, they will be accomplished. He has declared the end from the beginning. What idols do you trust in? What have you made to be God in your own life? And maybe a good way of of thinking that is, is where do you go when you are in despair? Where do you go when you look for comfort? That very well might reveal to you an idol that has taken place in your heart. But Isaiah is clear. There is no God except the Holy One of Israel. He alone has been there from the foundations of the earth. And He alone is the only one who can demand our obedience. You know, in our Ten Commandments Sunday School class last week, we considered the first commandment, which says, You shall have no other gods before me. We were reminded that this is a call to put nothing above God. Because He alone is the one who delivers us, who is God. So this week, brothers and sisters, consider how you might obey the first commandment and put no other gods before the one true God. See, only the one true God can provide assurance of the comfort that we seek. And His assurance is based solely on who He is, not on who we are. You know, it's interesting, throughout Isaiah 40-55, through the emphasis is not on the people's love of God but rather on God and His everlasting love of the people. One of the clearest places we see this is in Isaiah 49, verses 14 and 15, where we read in verse 14, But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. See, Israel has no confidence in God. They think they've been forsaken and forgotten, and so they turn to idols. But the Lord speaks as we continue into verse 15. Can a woman forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. When Tori and I had our our son Aaron, I remember the second night in the hospital with him. And the nurses and the doctors tell you that, that you should try and nurse the baby every two hours in those first few days and weeks. Well, that second night, having had such an exhausting couple of days, we we ended up sleeping over five hours straight, only to be awoken by a nurse coming in to check on on my wife and on our child. And at that moment, we realized that we had missed two feedings. In our sleepiness, we forgot our nursing son needed to eat. The very realization of Isaiah 49, 15. Even an exhausted mom can forget her nursing child for just a few hours. But our God will not forget us. 
Not even for, for just a few hours. His love is steadfast and never ending. He, he can not. And therefore, his promise of comfort is assured to you and to me. As one pastor observes, if we want to have any hope, we must ground it not in ourselves, but in him. If we want to have any hope, we must ground it not in ourselves, but in our God. That's where our hope for comfort comes from. That's where assurance of comfort for the people of God comes from. It's from Him and His sure word. Listen to how Isaiah 55 concludes. And note the similarities between Isaiah 55 and Isaiah 40 verses 6 through 8. Starting in verse 10 of Isaiah 55 we read, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven... And do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Isaiah 40 begins and Isaiah 55 concludes with this assurance of comfort grounded, rooted in God's holy word. God's word will accomplish its purposes. God's word of comfort will achieve its end. This leads us then to our third point, comfort achieved. Well, back in Isaiah 40, verses 9 through 11, we see a command. A command to proclaim good news to the cities of Judah and Jerusalem. And what is that good news? We'll look at the end of verse 9. Behold your God. Remember, we, we already said, right, the, the announcement of comfort in Isaiah 41-5 through 5 is, is really just the announcement of God coming. And so here again, what are the people to announce? Behold your God. He goes on to explain what, what, what God is coming to do in verses 10 through 11. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young Look carefully, brothers and sisters, at the, the language here. The Lord comes with might. His reward and recompense is before him. The, the surety of the promise in, in verse 11, where, where he will is repeated three times to emphasize that, that what God is promising, he will achieve. He will achieve it by his very arm there in verse 10. The arm of the Lord is is prominent throughout Scripture, describing God's acting to save His people. We see it particularly in in Egypt, in Exodus 15, where Moses sings of God's arm having delivered them from slavery. And so the promise of Isaiah 49-11 is that our comfort will be achieved. And this comfort for the people of God comes in two ways. Rescue from Babylon and redemption from sin. One filled very immediately, 70 years after they are exiled to Babylon, the the people of God will be rescued. But the other looking to the future, when the Lord's servant will come and God redeems his people. 
Let's consider first this this comfort achieved in, in rescuing the people from Babylon. See, God would act on behalf of His people. He would not leave them in exile. He will rescue them and He will do so through this Persian king named Cyrus. We read of him in Isaiah 45 verse 1. Thus says the Lord to His anointed, to Cyrus whose right hand I have grasped to subdue nations before him and to loose the belts of kings, to open doors before him that gates may not be closed. Here we see the promise of Isaiah 45 is that the Lord, the the Redeemer, will be the one who delivers his people from exile, but he will do so through Cyrus. It will be by the hand of this Persian king that the nations are subdued and the kings and their belts are loosed. We know that, that Cyrus was successful, that he achieved the end to which God set him. We see this in books like Ezra and Nehemiah or the, the prophet Haggai, where the people of Israel returned to Jerusalem because the Persian Empire has defeated Babylon. God achieves what he promised. But God is achieving more than just a, a geopolitical victory for Israel. No, he will bring a, a far greater comfort And this comfort will not come through Cyrus or any national power. It will come through the Lord's servant. Maybe if you're familiar with Isaiah 40 through 55, you you might know that servant is used often in this passage of Scripture. At times, servant is used to describe Israel. Like in Isaiah 41 verse 8 where we read, But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend. And we're taught throughout the Bible that Israel was God's chosen servant. That this, this people of God were the chosen people through whom God's will was accomplished and through whom blessing was to come to all the nations. But Israel failed. They, they sinned. And so it becomes clear that there, there's a servant, an, an individual who is the true Israel who will deliver the people of Israel. We see that in Isaiah 49, verse 5, where we read, And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. And so while Israel as a people are often referred to as the servant of God, there, there is a, a unique servant An anointed king, favored by the Lord, who is going to come and deliver Israel and Jacob. A servant honored in the eyes of God, and who finds God to be his very strength. It's this servant that that is proclaimed again and again throughout Isaiah 40 through 55. In fact, we see four songs about this individual servant. I'm going to give you those references. If you want to write them down, please do so. I'd encourage you to to read them this week or maybe get together with someone else and read through them and meditate together on this servant. So the four songs about this servant in Isaiah 40 through 55 are found in Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 4, Isaiah 49, verses 1 through 7, Isaiah 50, and Isaiah 52 through 53. So Isaiah 42, 49, 50, and 52 and 53. I'd encourage you to read all of those, but for the sake of our time this morning, 
We're going to focus in on, on one of those. Particularly Isaiah 52, 13 through 53, 12. So if you have your Bibles, please open in with them to Isaiah 53. So turn just a, a few pages. We're going to move from Isaiah 40 into Isaiah 53 to kind of conclude this morning with a meditation here on this servant. The servant who is the arm of the Lord. That's what we see in Isaiah 53 verse 1. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? The servant is, is the divine one acting in the world. So the, the first thing we learn about the servant from Isaiah 53 is that this servant is, is God. We saw in, in chapter 49, which we cited just a few minutes ago, that this servant was formed in the womb. So this servant is, is God and man. He is formed in the womb, yet the very arm of the Lord. But we read more of him in, in verses 4 through 6 of Isaiah 53. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So this servant who comes to redeem, to forgive fully and finally does so not through military conquest, but through being stricken, smitten, and afflicted. He will be pierced for our transgressions. He will be crushed for our iniquities. And it is through that piercing and crushing that we are healed. Isaiah declares all of us have gone astray. We've turned to our own way. Not one of us here has obeyed and followed the Lord as He deserves. And the question becomes, well, who is the one who will forgive us? Who is the one upon whom the Lord lays all iniquity well we saw this is jesus christ we see this in mark 1 where mark presents john the baptist as preparing the way of the lord preparing the way for for jesus but it becomes ever so clearly throughout the the gospels and the epistles particularly peter in his first epistle where he writes this of jesus and as you listen look for similarities with isaiah 53 Speaking of Jesus, Peter writes, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he was suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Jesus is this suffering servant. He is the sinless one who's reviled. He is the, the holy one who bears on himself our sin, substituting himself for our peace. That we might die to sin, Peter says, and live to righteousness. Brothers and sisters, this is the good news proclaimed of comfort 
In Isaiah 49-11, through 11, the arm of the Lord has acted in the beloved servant, the God-man Christ Jesus. He has come as our tender shepherd, because every, every one of us has strayed like sheep, wandering away from our God. But the shepherd and overseer of our souls comes and gathers us to himself through this suffering servant. Just as we see in Isaiah 54, verse 7, for a brief moment, God says, I deserted you, but with great compassion, I will gather you. God gathers his people to the suffering servant. He achieves this eternal comfort and establishes a new covenant through his blood. And this eternal comfort awaits all who come. Which leads us to our final point this morning. Come to the Comforter. Come to the Comforter. What are we to do? What are we to do with this knowledge of comfort being announced and assured to us in in the very presence of our God coming and comfort being achieved through the suffering servant? The promise of eternal peace. We'll hear how Isaiah concludes in Isaiah 55. All we have to do is come. Starting in verse 1, Isaiah writes, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligent to me. And eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear, and come to me. Hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. This is the call. Are you thirsty? Come. Are you hungry? Come. How are we to come? Well, Isaiah... The Lord, through Isaiah, says, come with nothing. Right? Come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. We need nothing when we come to Jesus. In fact, as we sung earlier, if we try to tarry and and hold off on coming until we have something to bring with us, we will never come at all. We only come to Jesus when we recognize that we have nothing left to bring. And the good news is that by His grace, He he says, come by with no money. Come and eat. You know, when Jesus calls us to come in Matthew 11, 28-30, not only does He say, come with nothing, but He says, come you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus calls us to come not only with nothing, but but with all of our our burdens from sin and shame and guilt and the suffering that we deal with in this world and death and come and place them upon Him. We have nothing to pay Jesus, but He gives graciously and freely. So we are called to come with nothing. But not only are we called to come with nothing, we are actually also called to come with confidence. Confidence. You see, when we come, we can be confident that the Lord will receive us. 
We come with the confidence that He promises to make an everlasting covenant by His steadfast and sure love for David. So brothers and sisters, come with nothing and come with confidence. If you're here today and you've never come to this Jesus, to this Jesus who suffered in your place, who heals you by His very wounds, hear the call to come and don't wait. Isaiah 55 verse 6 says, Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. If that's you this morning, I'd love to talk with you after the service or those around you would love to talk with you. But do not wait. Call. Seek the Lord. Come to Him while He may be found. For those of you who are Christians, the the call remains the same. Come to Jesus. Come to the Comforter. And no continued rest. You know, in just a moment, we're going to partake in the Lord's Supper. We're going to eat from His table. And during this, we remember the, the servant of the Lord crushed for our iniquities. And it's during this time where we can come again to our Lord through repentance and faith, knowing He will abundantly pardon. That's what verse 7 of Isaiah 55 says, that when, that when we come, when we return to the Lord, He may have compassion on Him and to our God, for He will abundantly pardon. So brothers and sisters, this morning come. Come to the Comforter with nothing but the assurance that your God has delivered you through His servant and with the hope of the future deliverance for which we are being prepared. Come to the only God who brings comfort by his servant. Let's pray. Father, this morning we ask that you would assure us of your goodness to comfort your people. Lord, this life will bring no shortage of despair and disappointment. We are strangers and exiles in this land in desperate need of your comforting presence. May our hearts know the comfort brought by the good shepherd who tenderly cares for his flock. Father, may we look nowhere else for comfort this morning, but come to the one who gives all comfort that we may comfort others until he returns. And Father, as we partake in the meal around your table, may our hearts be comforted in the knowledge of the suffering servant who is chastised for our peace, and whose wounds bring our healing. It's in his name we pray. Amen.